And welcome back to another very, very special edition of the Michael Deacon Program. Hello to all of you in the chat room right now. So glad to see all of you out there. To those who only listen to the podcast rendition, keep in mind we are always live out here on YouTube. Definitely come by whenever you can. Joining us tonight is Mr. Richard Serrett. He is the host of the Conspiracy Show and guest host on Coast to Coast AM. Richard has had quite the successful run as a broadcaster. His show is also syndicated in 40 markets across North America. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Glad to be back. Glad to see all of you yet again. For those of you who only listen to the podcast again, remember, we are always live on YouTube. Now, let's get down to brass tacks and bring in Mr. Richard Serrett and, of course, my partner in crime, Mr. Mike Hideous. What's going on, gentlemen? Hey, Mike's. How are you? Doing All good. Right. Doing good. I'm glad Thanks for both, having me. Yes, sir. I'm glad both of you are here. What a tremendous time we live in. 2020 has been quite bizarre. What didn't you say, Richard? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, this is the year the rubber hit the road, I'd say. Uh, everything that I've been talking about on terrestrial airwaves for the last 20 years is uh, kind of out there on full display right now. It really is quite bizarre. Not only do you have COVID-19 going on, there was also a mass shooting out there in Canada. Pretty bizarre, given the fact that that doesn't really go down very often. In Porta Peak, if I recall correctly. Yeah, we've uh, we've had a few. um, um, We had one at uh, a university in Montreal about 30 years ago. Uh, where women primarily were targeted. Uh, this one, um, on the surface, it seems ki- kind of indiscriminate, although the the shooter supposedly had a list of targets. Um, we're not getting a lot of details up here, uh, quite frankly. And I've kind of left this one alone on the air just because uh, it's still a little too fresh. And uh, I don't have a lot of details yet, but I, I'm hearing some some um, interesting things. One of which was the um, there was a fire hall where a number of people were taking uh, shelter, taking cover, and there were two RCMP officers there. Uh, I guess kind of you know standing guard or standing watch, and uh, then it was reported that uh, two other RCMP officers showed up and started firing into the uh, the fire hall door. Oh, my. Uh, so that's a bit of a head-scratcher. Um, but uh, I haven't done a full show on it. I'm still kind of gathering data. And um, uh, I, don't, I don't expect we'll get um, very much from the mainstream media up here. They, it's very, very... Um, a, a difficult, right? You know, t- difficult to get information from our from Amy. I don't know where you guys are located, but um, in Canada, I don't know. I I don't want to be too critical, but 
most reporters up here are not fit to cover a house fire. There's not a lot of great investigative journalists. Let's put it that way. Very interesting. And there were plenty of fires involved in this case as well. And yes, yeah, that's pretty insane what went down. For those that don't know, there was a mass shooting out there, 22 people dead, if I recall correctly. That all started uh, allegedly because of the girlfriend. One of the reasons why the he went out there on a rampage, they're saying. But who knows, right? The, the, we don't have all the facts just yet. No, <laughs> we have we have next to nothing uh, other than, you know, the the official narrative. And this will disappear. Uh, much the same way that the, uh, the, the Vegas shooting disappeared. Yeah. Uh, in the United States, we, 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 uh, this will quickly be taken over by, uh, some other seemingly inane story or, you know, continued coverage of coronavirus where we're told like idiots, wash your hands, stay indoors. Um, and yeah, this will, uh, this will be left to the citizen journalists out there. Uh, to uh, to uncover the truth, and then they'll they'll be roundly dismissed as crackpots, of course. Oh, it always goes down that way. But it is interesting that he had some sort of mock up of a police vehicle out there, and of course he had a uniform as well. So the shooter did. Is that what you're saying? The shooter? Yes, the shooter correct. Yeah, there's they're, a lot they're making him out to be kind of a a, a wannabe. Yeah, it's oh a okay. I was a little confused on that, but now I'm starting to see the picture. That's tragic. How many people? 22, you said? 22 so far, yes. And that was when? T- yesterday? T- this week? That was earlier. That was last week. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm sorry. I was a little uh, un- uneducated on, on the whole story. Uh, tragic. Absolutely tragic when something like ha- that happens. Definitely. And of course, it comes from Port to Peak. That's over there by, what is that? Nova Scotia. Correct. Yes. Beautiful area, too. I've been up there. Absolutely gorgeous. Most of us Americans don't really follow too much of what's going on in Canada, I have to say. I didn't even see it on uh, any news. uh, Yeah, we don't uh, get that. Posts or anything about that. You know, I mean, this is this is something I would consider major. You know, why we didn't hear about it is beyond me. That's what happens. All the COVID-19 news just. Sort of oh. took everyone's uh, headspace there for a while. Yeah. And that's what for happens. For a while. Yeah. It's like more like oh, it's two still, months now. Yeah. But Richard, before we jump into other subjects, I did want to ask you, how many shows exactly do you have? You seem like a busy man. <laughs> uh, let's see. I have my uh, syndicated weekly program, The Conspiracy Show, which airs out of Toronto uh, on um, AM 740 Zoomer Radio. And then I have... Uh, roughly 38 affiliates uh, throughout North America. And that airs Sunday nights at 11 p.m. Eastern. And then I have a podcast uh, that drops three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. That's called Conspiracy Unlimited. And I'm quickly approaching about 400 episodes since that began. And then uh, I fill in uh, as a guest host on Coast to Coast AM Typically three days a month. Very and what nice. do you what do you sleep like two hours a night? <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, I you know I uh, I take a lot of afternoon naps. Let's put oh, it I'll bet. <laughs> yeah, that helps. Yeah, for sure. I know what that's like. I always have to sleep for at least um, half an hour to an hour before doing this show. 
out of habit. Ow. Out of habit, man. <laughs> I, it just, it just, it, it doesn't feel right if I don't. I gotta say. Well, he certainly has a lot going on, Richard. Uh, good luck with all that. Yeah, Richard's well, a it's, busy guy. it's almost a living. Almost. Yeah, it's late where he's at. So I'm glad he's here. And of course, by now, Richard, do you favor any other show besides your own? What I mean by that is, aside from Coast, rather, do you like doing Coast more or your own show? Which do you prefer? Well, obviously, Coast to Coast is a huge platform. Uh, we're talking about millions of people listening. My my syndicated radio program uh, considerably smaller, um, but you know there. The uh, the syndicated program is I, I sort of look at that as my child. I, I created mm, that. Yeah. I've been doing that type of radio for twenty years here in Toronto, so it's kind of like my my baby, my child. Whereas coast to coast, I am a guest host, so um, you know it's 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 like borrowing dad's car. You know, you got to be very careful. <laughs> yeah, I was about to bring that up. I was about to bring up the fact. With that said. Are there any topics that you that you cannot cover at all on Coast to Coast AM? I'm curious now. I've never been told no. I mean, I work with a, a producer, a weekend producer, and he will suggest guests, um, uh, and I will suggest guests. Uh, so I, I've never been told no. Um, we don't even look at it so much as topics. It's usually like guests. A, a, right. An author has okay. a new book on on UFOs or uh, an assassination researcher. But I can honestly say, and I know this disappoints some, you know, they think that it's like a scene out of network with uh, uh, Ned Beatty telling Howard Beale uh, that he has um, – uh, meddled with the primal forces of nature and you shall atone. It doesn't happen that way, uh, at least in my experience. Interesting. I thought there would, there would be a few things you couldn't exactly touch upon. Uh, there may be, there may, there may be, listen, I, I, you know, I, I there are certain things I won't touch upon. I will not sure. go on and disseminate hate, obviously. Right, um, right. I don't do Holocaust denial, uh, that kind of stuff. I just, that's, that's that's just me. Yeah, I wouldn't uh, expect are, you to exactly. What are some of the topics that you you favor most uh, when uh, getting uh, any particular uh, guest on your programs? Are there any type of uh, topics or subjects you enjoy most? Well, what we're dealing with now with the lockdown and certain international organizations peddling one narrative and different nation states peddling another uh that to me kind of encompasses one of my favorite areas and that is uh globalism versus the nation state that's the titanic struggle of our age and that's what we're seeing play out right now and that's something i've talked about for 20 years or i've talked to people about i mean i need to draw a distinction i'm 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 more comfortable usually asking the question. So That's I'm true, the interviewer. Right? So I don't, I'm not, you know, I'm not a conspiracy theorist per se. So, I, but I talk to people who are. Right. Or I right. talk to people who have various theories. Some, some of which I think have a great deal of credence and others maybe not so much. <laughs> uh, right. But I, my job is just, I provide a, a safe and respectful platform. And then I ask the questions and I let, 
And I offer an opinion here and there where I feel appropriate. Sure. Uh, by and large, I let my listeners decide for themselves. That's uh, but, a lot what, what, like what we do here. Yeah. Sorry. But, but I, but I'm, I, I'm in a, I mean, I'm a, I'm an avowed nation state guy. I'm going to, I need to be clear about that. I, um, I believe yeah. in the nation state. Uh, you know, I don't know about down in the U.S., but now if you use the word a nationalist, people oh. get all uppity. And oh. I, I don't, you know, big middle finger to anyone who says that. I don't, I'm an good, activist. Good. I'm a nationalist. Yes, you and me both. I, and I me believe both. in the nation state. It is the the um, the institution that is best suited to to safeguard our individual liberties. Although it's not doing a hell of a job right now, but better than that, uh, then you know we're taking our orders from some faceless bureaucrat in The Hague or Brussels or uh, I don't know, Bern, Switzerland, or wherever they would decide. You know that uh, the New World Order international headquarters would be located. Because, you know, people often find their government in Washington, or in my case, Ottawa, to be distant and unresponsive. Uh, it would it, it could be a lot worse, folks. Yeah, I agree. And Richard, now out of curiosity, going back to the conspiracy angle here, what exactly was the catalyst for you to sort of go down this road here of, Aside from, let's say, talking about maybe political matters, why the conspiracy fringe? I started off in current affairs at talk radio. I was a producer, so I was behind the scenes booking guests, and it was a news talk uh, format at the station. So we would cover provincial uh, politics, municipal politics, uh, what I call the workaday reality, garbage strike, a provincial budget, a federal election. Um and uh, one one day, the program director offered me my own show. They, in those days, the uh, radio stations, I thought, did a pretty good job at trying to promote from within and try and develop their own talent. And so I was given a show on a Sunday night, and I had to figure out how to fill two hours. Mm. And I, I just – I didn't – I didn't want to talk about what everyone else was talking about. First of all, there were people that did a far better job or could do a far better job than I. And quite honestly, my heart wasn't in it. I kind of had a belly full of it, uh, you know, producing it Monday to Friday. So I had to figure out how to fill those hours. And, um, you know, Art Bell certainly was a huge influence and a TV show that I remember from a kid hosted by Leonard Nimoy called In Search Of. Right. Yes. Good show. And I used to like programs. Uh, I don't know if you remember or old enough to remember um, Rod Serling, not the Twilight Zone. I'm even too young to remember that, although I saw it in reruns. But he had a show in the 70s called Night Gallery. And uh, there was another show called The Night Stalker. And so yes. I was – I was always sort of captivated and, and enthralled by, by that type of programming. Um, and so I, I figured, and it, it, it didn't, uh, it didn't infuse my brand new show on Sunday night all at once. I kind of introduced it, uh, bit by bit. And then eventually it just kind of took over the show. And, uh, and then of course, nine 11 happened about maybe a year and a half into, my run, my first go round on the air. Oh, okay. And after that, that naturally that changed everything. That's what it was. Yeah. For a lot of people yeah, so it too. Went from, it went from like Bigfoot trackers and the Loch Ness monster to, uh, and vampire slayers to uh, pretty heavy, intense uh, geopolitical subterfuge at that point. Nice. 
Yeah, that makes sense. And of course, eventually you got a call from uh, Coast. What was that like for you? Uh, I always compare that to get like playing in the, I, I don't, I don't want to be harsh, but it was like playing in the minors and then getting a call up to play for the Yankees. Understood. Sure. Yeah. And I, and I don't want to, I'm not saying that Toronto is a minor league station, not at all. It's, it's the fifth largest radio market in North America. It's a huge market. It's fantastic. But in terms of the, the reach, the platform going from a single station at that time, uh, to, a, a show that had over 600 affiliates and millions of listeners. Yeah. So, uh, and I had no expectation other than that it would be a one-off. I was, um, it was actually my, my lovely bride's doing, she, she had encouraged me. She sent a, a, a package to the, at that point, uh, he was the vice president of talk at premier radio hmm. and he happened to be from Montreal. So he was a fellow Canuck and my, uh, my wife, who I call the mighty Aphrodite, uh, she said, oh, she somehow found out he was from Canada. And she said, you should contact him. Uh, he might think it's kind of cool to have a Canadian guest host. And uh, I said, oh, come on. Are you kidding? And and she was persistent and sent the package away. And uh, a few weeks later, I got a call from this gentleman asking me if I would uh, like to fill in for George Nori on a Friday night because he was taking the night off for his daughter's birthday, as I recall. And practically fell out of my chair and then went and um, uh, kissed my wife uh, and gave her a big hug and said, um, it happened. I'm on. So uh, that was in 2009. And I did the show. And uh, I didn't think, to use a baseball analogy, I hit it out of the park. But I thought it was a, you know, a serviceable, uh, maybe stand-up triple. And But I, I didn't hear from them for about five years after that. And uh, then in January 2014, um, I started to get a call regularly, and and ever since, so it's been over six years. I'm usually I'm doing typically two, usually three shows a month. Nice. That's pretty good. Hey, you yeah. definitely did hit it out of the park. You're still there, Richard. I'm a survivor. <laughs> yeah, you really are. You really are. Slow and steady wins the race, I guess. Oh yeah. I agree with you on that. And of course, plenty of people have complained about other guest hosts on a coast, but you're someone who's actually quite uh, loved and respected. Well, it wasn't always thus. Um, anytime someone new comes along, there's always going to be resistance and some apprehension and some even a little bit of nastiness. Uh, sure. Like, who is this guy? Because you're you're coming into their living room and or their bedroom or wherever. And um, uh, if you're perceived as an interloper, and I guess I was in the beginning, then, you know, they don't people don't like change coast to coast. It's a it's a comfort. It's a friend. And so when someone else comes with a, a different voice, a different timber, a different pace, a different rhythm, uh, it's, it's a little unsettling for people. You know, they're, they're relaxed. They, they're, they're getting ready to go to sleep and they want that comfort zone. And until you put the time in the chair, uh, you're not going to be, you know, welcomed immediately with open arms, not by everyone, certainly. And you, and you hear from the dissenters, believe me, uh, but, but gradually, you know, you win them over and they're not everybody. Uh, there are still people I'm sure who, uh, shudder and, and, you know, scramble to, uh, to hit the off switch or whatever, whenever I come on. But, um, 
for the most part, people have been very, very welcoming and gracious. And um, uh, through time spent in the chair, you know, you win them over and you become part of their family. And it's that's that's a real uh, honor and privilege. And um, uh, that's one of the wonderful things about radio. I've done television. I've done radio. But the the bond that you have with the listeners in radio, there's nothing like it. Late night radio, best audience in the world. I agree. And of course, you were trying to do or did you do the um, pilot of your um, radio show on television, I believe, right? I did a, um, a TV show. We did we did four seasons. Uh, it was based on the radio show, right, the conspiracy okay. show. Um, we, we, it was just kind of a, a branding thing because the owner of the TV station here in Canada also owned the radio station. So, uh, but it was a different show. Uh, for the most part, it was shot in, uh, in the field on location. We traveled all over North America to England, uh, for part of season two or three. I think we were in England and uh, yeah, we did four seasons. It aired across Canada. It aired for one season in the U.S., uh, Australia, Poland, the Italian-speaking market, uh, I think Vietnam, uh, parts of Africa. So, yeah, we did uh, we did four seasons, about 60-some episodes. Damn. All right. Mike, did you have something to say? I'm sorry to cut you off. Oh, no, I was just going to say, you know, in reference to the whole uh, getting on to a new show, people are fickle. They become comfortable in their right, in yeah. their things, especially with entertainment. And, uh, you know, they see somebody or watch a show. They get used to the people who are either acting on it or doing the talk show, the talking heads. You get somebody new, just like anything in entertainment, a new musician in a band, a new actor in a movie. On a, People are fickle. They get They get frustrated. So, yeah, it's... I know what that's like. Yeah, to tag on to that, especially in something like a radio or in, in music, well, just in everything in general, but yeah. crowds are won and lost, and then, of course, you win them over eventually. That's kind it, of the way it goes. Not everybody. Not everybody. Like, like Richard said, you can't- you Can't know, win them all. True. And you can't please everyone yeah. either. So you're, you're going to get an audience uh, who likes you, they like you. If they don't, you move on. Right. It's about building trust and- uh, you know, I bring a certain, my bag of tricks. Everybody has their little, uh, their routine, their bag of tricks. I have my kind of a patented show opening that I use every, uh, every time I'm on and, and people have responded well to that. And I like to kind of craft my opening. Uh, I also, you know, everybody has who hosts and guest hosts has, has their own taste in music. So I get a lot of, a positive response from um, the bumper music because we get to choose our own bumper music, and and that's actually one of the uh, one of the, uh, the 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 fun fun parts of of doing the show, picking my own bumper music. And I have a very eclectic taste in music, and and I like to uh, I like to talk about the music a little bit on the show. So you know, I might mention the I'll mention the name of the artist and the name of the song, and maybe a bit of a backstory. Uh, or even the record label, you know, the, hey, that was uh, that that was Freddie Scott that came out in uh, Stax Records back in 1968. So that kind of thing. I uh, uh, I was never a DJ, but I kind of like to because the music is an integral part of the show. I agree. So I like to make it part of the show and and kind of um, you know uh, tip my hat to the uh, to the artists as well. And Richard, at this point, you've been doing it for so long. Uh, are you still excited or nervous before getting on coast? What's going on there? Or, or, do you line um, up? 
Mainly excited. Yeah. I mean, if, if you're not a little bit nervous, there's something wrong. You're, you're dead inside. So <laughs> right. yeah, th- there's, there's some pre-show jitters. Um, mainly it's excitement though. I, I, because I, I so, I, I so love the medium and, uh, I, I love, uh, I love connecting with, with listeners. Uh, I, I like, I like the way the show comes together. I like the, um, I love the combination of spoken word and music. I've always loved that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's mainly excitement. Plus, you know, I, some, I, I've had the pleasure of had having some great guests, uh, and some of them on coast to coast. I like to, I like to stretch my wings a little bit on coast or spread my wings a little bit and, uh, sort of move outside the conspiracy paranormal box from time to time. And, uh, so from, t- uh, uh, once in a while I'll have someone on who has nothing to do with those, either of those arenas. So most recently I spoke with a record producer by the name of Brooks Arthur, uh, who was the sound engineer and producer on a number of seminal albums, including Van Morrison's Astral Weeks. Uh, he produces, uh, Adam Sandler's comedy albums. He worked with Robin Williams. He's been around since the old, um, Brill building days in New York with, you know, working alongside Carol King and Neil Sedaka and Neil Young and Bruce Springsteen recorded, um, his early work at, uh, at Brooks's, um, uh, studio in, in, in New York, nine, uh, studio 914. So, and, and that was kind of a, a thrill because, uh, I'm a huge Van Morrison fan and Brooks actually had reached out to me. Uh, he's a big fan of the show. A lot of musicians love coast to coast because, you know, they stay up late. They stay up late. And, yeah. um, you would, you know, you never know who's listening. And, and, uh, so one night I was playing some Van Morrison, uh, bumper music and I always refer to Van as the bard from Belfast. And, uh, Brooks heard that and he, uh, he reached out to me. He wrote me a letter, sent me a, um, it was the 50th anniversary edition of Astral Weeks, the album. Uh, so he sent that to me with a lovely note. And we sort of become uh, friends over the phone and, and via email. So he was um, quite tickled that I would ask him to come on, and, and we did a two-hour show, and, and and the listeners loved it for the most part. That's very nice. And, of course, going back to the show you do, your own show, I listened to your interview you did with a remote viewer. I believe was, his name was on Douglas Cottrell. Yes. That guy had some rather interesting things to say, and I'm not – really much into remote viewing uh, to to be honest but there is some validity to the whole remote viewing uh, project that went on out here with the CIA and there's plenty of um, information on that but that guy had some rather bizarre and uh, fascinating things to say about COVID-19 yeah I've known Douglas for probably 25 maybe 26 years uh, from, from back in the day when I was producing and I would, when I, and I would book him on late night shows that I produced. And, uh, I was never one <clears throat> back in the, uh, in the nineties, it was for late night radio. It was very popular to have like psychics on yeah. because, because, and it wasn't great listening. I, I, I always found, but it was, it was kind of a, a lazy man's way of doing radio because if you had a psychic on the phone lines would go crazy all the because time because <laughs> yeah. everybody wanted their own personal reading done 
for free on the air. Right. Uh, but but if I wasn't calling in to get my reading done and I was listening to someone else having their reading done, it wasn't very interesting, I, I always thought. And so I always had an aversion to booking psychics. And so one day, uh, Douglas's booking agent uh, called and said, oh, he's a clairvoyant. And I said, yeah, I'm not really into that, thanks. He said, no, 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 wait, you've never heard anyone like me. He's not only a clairvoyant, he's also a remote viewer. And I said, what's that? And, um, you know, was given a bit of an education on that. And uh, I had him on. I booked him on with this guest or this host, rather, that I worked with. And then and uh, I wouldn't stay for the show. I would book the show. Then I would go home and listen. And uh, Douglas Cottrell came on and, and he was doing this medical intuitive thing. People would call in and he would say, they would say, you know, I've got a, a, a sore throat. Uh, what, what do you think is going on? And Douglas would remote view basically their insides. They also call him the man with x-ray vision or x-ray eyes. And he would like come up with this um, sort of this diagnosis. And the person on the other end said, but that's exactly right. That's what my doctor said. Or um person would call in, can you, can you tell me what's wrong? I'm in a great deal of dis- discomfort. And you'd say, you've got kidney stones. And it turns out, you know, he was right. And he was just like, batting a thousand that night it was maybe not a thousand but it was just incredible and so we had him on again and again and again and we've become uh, uh friends and we've done some interesting remote viewing experiments over the years on the air uh once on coast to coast or twice actually on coast to coast we got all the listeners involved and they had to remote view an object that was on his desk um oh so so COVID 19 yeah douglas um was asked to remote view that situation. And, and back in February, uh, this is on record. He was doing a YouTube, uh, a video on YouTube on February 19th. And he said that it came from the Wuhan, uh, level four lab. Uh, he didn't say that it was engineered as a bioweapon. It was, it was engineered, but it was intended, uh, perhaps, uh, as a vaccine or as a way to try and, uh, combat, these coronaviruses, and then uh, somehow it escaped. Uh, it's possible. So that was that was Feb nineteen. Well, I I certainly believe, uh, based on everything I've heard, read, people I've talked to, that's the most likely scenario. That uh, it came from that Wuhan virology uh, level four lab. Uh, whether the Chinese Communist Party let it happen made it happen or closed their eyes and were glad it happened. I'm not sure. Uh, but what happens is once it's out there, then you have countless uh, groups uh, who seize upon that to sort of work their own agenda. It's the, the old saying, never let a crisis go to waste. So the Democratic Party sees upon that because they couldn't, um, they couldn't impeach Trump. So now – uh, you know, this is their best, their last best hope to destroy Trump. Uh, the uh, the globalists uh, are using this because they would love to um, uh, they would love to invoke you know further authoritarian measures, uh, mandatory vaccines, tracking, uh, and empower international groups like the World Health Organization and the United Nations. So everybody's working their angle. Definitely. Yeah, they definitely, definitely want to take down this president uh, in any possible manner they possibly can, and um, it, you know it's it's so. In, at this point, I personally, I think it's it's a joke 
because every time you see them go after him for some stupid asinine reason, it's like you got to be kidding. You know, they just jump from one thing to the next. They don't give up. No, they're they're uh, they're like rabid dogs. And I, I, um, I think the anger here is entirely misdirected. It, it should be. Has President Trump said some stupid stuff? Sure, he has. We, but it, usually it comes from you know a well, a well-intended place. Sure. So you know if he's talking about using uh, light and disinfectant. It's a well, you know, it's coming from a good place. He wants, he wants to try anything and everything. Um, but why, are, why are people not angry at, uh, you know, the, the communist Chinese party yeah. uh, who tried to cover this up, who, who lied about it, who disappeared some of their top doctors who tried to blow the whistle? Why are they not angry with the World Health Organization? Uh, that that ran cover for the Chinese Communist Party and lied and said that human to human transmission, you know, is is uh, there's no evidence for that. Why are they not angry uh, with with the uh, the House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who said, you know, go to Chinatown, go to Chinatown, uh, right? Or or Mayor De Blasio, who said ride the subways, or the the the. Um, the New York uh, director of public health, or I'm, I'm not sure what her title is, who said the same thing. Go to yeah. a Chinese restaurant. Enjoy ha- Chinese New Year. Uh, and, 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 and on top of that, you know that you, you couldn't say the word Chinese virus because then you were deemed a racist. Right, right. Never mind that we still call it the Spanish flu. The right. Spanish uh, flu. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, the it's hypocrisy is, is out there for sure. And I'm definitely in the notion – about 75% in the notion that this virus was not zoological at all, that this was for sure created in a bioweapons lab. And everyone we talk to seems to elude the same thing, the fact that it was worked on in China, then here in Fort Detrick, and then in Canada, and then back to uh, China. And that alone leads me to believe that this was being modified and in every remote location it was it was at. I watched a wonderful documentary produced by the Epoch Times, and uh, great magazine. They, yeah, it's a terrific newspaper, and and they have some really solid investigative journalists, and I'm sure they have their own their own bias. I mean, I think they're sort of based out of Hong Kong, and obviously have a very anti um, Chinese regime point of view. Uh, however. They they spoke with a number of um, immunologists and virologists uh, who who were of the opinion that after looking at this uh, virus, it had all the attributes of a what they called a recombination event. Uh, in other words, it, yes, it was it was not zoonotic. It was uh, it was engineered. Now there are a lot of reasons why you might engineer something. I mean, you you might want to engineer it to, because you want to produce a vaccine. Uh, or you want to try and figure out how to uh, how to combat other coronaviruses. Um, so a- as to motive, I-, I don't I don't know, but that's almost secondary now. It's here, and as I say, people are seizing upon it. And one of the great concerns is how um, how how willing uh we who who live in in ostensibly western liberal democracies are willing to trade uh health and security for 
for freedom. If I have to hear one more person say, yes, we're, we're locking down, but if it saves one life, it's worth it. What a ridiculous thing to say. What a ridiculous thing to say. Obviously all life is precious, but if we lived by that credo, none of us would ever leave our basement for any reason. We wouldn't get behind the the wheel of a car because, (laughs) well, it could save one life. That's true. That's true. You know, I think another reason why there's been so much uh, silence uh, about the situation is because it's quite a, quite a slippery slope. As you've read, uh, Mike, and I'm sure Richard, you read by now about the U.S. government uh, grant they gave to the Wuhan yeah. lab, the 3.7 million. 3.7 million, right, right. I mean, it seems like everyone has had their hand in this. Well, our government gave some money as well. Yeah, um, $700,000, I believe it was, wasn't it? Right. I'm not sure what the exact dollar figure was, and I don't know what to make of that. Uh, I mean, it's, and on certain levels, there's a lot of international corporate uh, cooperation uh, and and knowledge sharing and even sure. sharing of person personnel. Um, Trump also and, did uh, approve of this grant, by the way. But he that doesn't the grant. Didn't yes, he, he did. Yeah. But that doesn't mean he knew what was going to happen. That we we don't have uh, actual facts proving that at all. No, the, in fact, as a matter of fact, I read an article today that indicated that uh, now that he's becoming more educated on the whole thing, he said that Grant is going to be eliminated. That would make sense. Yeah, in right. fact, I think he's right. talking about eliminating as much as he can, even from the 3.7 million, uh, unless that's already a done deal. I don't know. Well, um, I know that for years and years, people have been... Uh, people at, uh, in uh, U.S. intelligence, Homeland Security have been very concerned about the, the safety at that level four. Right, right. Uh, and, and, uh, it's a lot like a country that has nukes and they don't do a very good job of, uh, of safeguarding them or the regime is a little on shaky ground. So, you know, it's in your best interest. Uh, maybe to throw a little money, uh, money at that situation because, you know, it, it could enhance your own safety and security. So that might be part of it. Uh, if they felt that the Chinese weren't doing a very good job or that they needed some help, uh, in, in making that facility a little more safe. Right. That may have something to do with it. I don't know. Yeah. We, exactly. No one really knows for sure, but going back to the slippery slope, this highly dangerous research was also vital to extract information on the study of viruses and vaccines that go down in these P4 labs. Um, it's This one is probably not as dangerous as the other things they've concocted out there, Richard. No, it, if it was, let's assume for a moment that it was uh, engineered as a bioweapon. It's certainly a low-grade weapon. Well, the so reason it's not, Rich, it's not let me, designed. Let me cut you off really quickly there. When I when yeah. I was going back and saying this thing was being transferred, I, I I am just under the mass assumption that perhaps this virus was not completed exactly as intended. That's my conspiracy theory. I'm not sure if that's true or not. I can't prove that, but I am under the assumption of that. Richard, go ahead. No, that's that's an interesting. I never had thought of that. That, in other words, it escaped before it was uh, it was ready. Most likely, I hadn't I hadn't thought of that. Uh, I hadn't heard that before. I'm open to you know 
hearing more about that. But as it stands, if let's assume that it was was released and it was designed as a bioweapon, it, it's it's kind of a low grade weapon, yeah. which which has the same, maybe even a, a better effect if the intent was to instill fear, panic and uh, elicit the exact response that they're getting, which is, you know, shutting, shuttering the economy. We are, we are quickly being dragged over a cliff into a, into the abyss of right. what could be a very, very deep worldwide depression. And um, even if it was a low, low, low grade um, uh, bioweapon, basically the contagion was the fear and the panic, which was spread by the media by and large, and obviously the World Health Organization. Um, so it, it, it achieved that goal. We, you know, and now China supposedly is back up and running. Uh, although they may have misfired a little bit because it's definitely going to come back and, and bite them, uh, in a major way. There will be, there will be some major retribution, uh, in terms of supply chains being reordered and, and, uh, uh, trade deals and so forth. Well, um, I think we seriously need to reconsider China's place in the World Trade Organization. But, but for now, uh, you know, the world economy, the, in the West at least, is ooh. is in dire, dire, uh, in grave condition. I'm glad and, you said uh, that. I'm glad you said that. The economy has taken more hits than Michael Phelps, indeed. <laughs> yes, I got to I got to Go interject ahead. for a second. Uh, I did read something fascinating today. In fact, as a matter of fact, Michael, I forwarded it to you on, on Facebook to your message, um, private message. You got to read it. It's a farmer talking about uh, how they are currently now uh, aborting calves from cows, euthanizing pigs. Uh, uh, pigs, cows are killing chickens by the millions um, uh, eliminating milk, um, they're plowing over crops, um, and yet at the same time, you know, after being after all these farmers are being forced to uh, eliminate their their crops and livestock, they are getting import shipments of beef uh, that is obviously less safe than it you know being brought up in America, and other types of meat being imported from other countries. What the hell is up with that? Uh, that I hadn't heard. I, I'd heard that the I, the meat, the supply chain with with regards to meat was in peril, um, but I hadn't heard that they were at the same time they were importing. Well, it makes sense. I mean, uh, look what look what they're doing in terms of the uh, the visa program. Now, while President Trump said we're going to temporarily stop immigration, which is basically for thirty or sixty days, they're still allowing all of these. Uh, these work visas for temporary workers to come in and take, you know, good paying jobs from college graduates. Oh, my. That I didn't know of. But yes, Mike, I, I did see some of that video with the farmer. And it seems like uh, the it, food supply chain is breaking, they say. That's right. And that is that is really uh, another thing that I, um, I'm adding to this list of, of travesties that are taking place in this country as a result of, 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 of small businesses being forced to shut down. Now, it's, it's time we got to start, you know, we got to start stepping up and say, Hey, look, it's time to get back to work. Yeah, this is a dangerous situation with the, with the, um, the virus. And I myself have had friends and fam, excuse me, have friends and family who have been affected by this. But at the same time, I'm, I'm losing work as we speak. 
Uh, and you know this, Michael. I've told you all about it. it, it I, I've, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, it's 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 not a good thing. And 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 now I hear about this livestock. They're killing animals. They're just they're just basically culling them uh, and euthanizing them because they can't. It's a bottleneck. They said something to do with the. Uh, oh, there's no meat packers. There's right, no meat right. packers. Thank you. That's exactly right, Richard. Um, and so yeah, I mean, oh. You've got to be kidding! To to, to in, in, and being an animal lover myself, this is a really big insult to me because it's like you know when something goes wrong with something that has to do with animals, what's our solution? Kill them. Yeah, it's quite terrible. It really is. And by the way, Richard, I got to ask you: How are you handling COVID nineteen out there in Toronto? Uh, well, as I often remark to friends, I I um. I've been social distancing for decades, so I, don't, <laughs> I haven't really noticed a lot uh, a change in, for in, you. In all seriousness, my, in my we homeschool uh, our our uh, twin boys who are thirteen. We have for the last four years, uh, so there's no interruption there. They're online. Uh, they have courses. Um, I've worked from home for a number of years. My uh, lovely bride works from home. Aside from suspension of some extracurricular activities, in particular tennis for the boys, which they sadly and sorely miss, uh, everything is pretty much steady as she goes. Now, I have an elderly uh, mother who lives about an hour and a half from here who I would like you know, to see more often. She's 95, still lives in her own house. Oh, my. Is very independent, does very well. Um, so I have a sister who lives close by. She'll take her her uh, her tablet over and we'll uh, we'll zoom we'll do a zoom uh, family get together which we did at easter um aside from the you know the the, the horrible tragedy the sickness and the death uh, which which diminishes us all um i found a lot of silver lining and and that is just um some quality family time right. uh, we've instigated kind of a uh, a nightly a uh, board game session. We play board games with the boys and or enjoy a movie together. My wife and I go for long walks every day. Um, it's been a, some time to kind of slow down, reflect. Um, uh, Get to catch up and, on the reading. Yeah, just kind of slow down a little bit. Yeah, that's the good thing about this as well. I've been seeing plenty of my neighbors uh, with their families and their kids and all of that. They're in their garages. It's good to see that sort of thing going on. And of course, I got to bring this up. No, no um, domestic disputes between you and the wife uh, dur- with, <laughs> with the wife during the quarantine, correct? You know, um, we spend a lot of time together anyway, uh, as I say, because we both work out of the house. And um, she makes me laugh every day. I, it was She just uh, celebrated her birthday on, um, on Sunday. And uh, we had a Zoom party for her, her friends uh, from all scattered all over from Greece and Vancouver and elsewhere. And I uh, ended the uh, the meeting with a with a toast. And, and that's what I say to her. Um, she's the funniest person I know. So um, if I didn't see her every day, all day, I would miss that because she has me in hysterics at least at least a couple of times a day. Very nice. I'm glad everything's working out. Domestic violence took a meteoric rise out here. Some people are not taking shelter in place very well. And I can understand that to a certain degree, but life is all about adapting and evolving. And you know what happens very well, Richard, if you fail to evolve. Well, um, 
Yeah, this is uh, this is obviously one of the major major uh, uh, downsides. Is uh, you know these people, these poor uh, victims of of spousal abuse, they have nowhere to go. Uh, they're trapped with their abuser. That's right, and that's just a living a living nightmare. Uh, the abuser, you know, can't leave and blow off some steam, or the the victim can't run uh, and seek shelter elsewhere. So it's unfortunately a uh, a perfect storm definitely and we're still pretty early on in the 2020 phase here and things have really been turned upside down for everyone not to mention the pentagon acknowledging the ufo footage i'm sure you saw that already richard yes i tweeted that out uh this afternoon um yeah, uh, I don't know what to say about that other than um, the USS Nimitz uh, case, which was uh, the, uh, the the F-18 fighter group um, off the coast of San Diego. Right, right. Uh, you know, in a, uh, a, a training exercise, saw these, they described them as uh, Tic Tacs, you know, the candy, the breath mint. So it became the Tic Tac UFO incident. And I, I believe it was one of those videos or two of those videos, plus another one from 2005 off the coast of Florida. Those were released uh, at the same time as that New York Times article that came out in December of 2017, which acknowledged the existence of the secret Pentagon UFO study group. So many people look at that article as well as those videos uh, as sort of de facto disclosure on the part of the government. Now they are finally admitting UFOs are real. And yeah, uh, yeah, but, but Richard, yeah. wouldn't wouldn't you agree that uh, a UFO can be anything that is uh, just unidentified and not necessarily an alien from another planet? Pretty much correct. Correct. I you know I've always uh, said that you cannot deny that UFOs are real. The question is who is piloting? Right. Uh, right. That's these, my point. These things. But, um, you know, we go back to the, uh, the Nathan Twining memo back in 47, uh, in which, you know, he, he's asked about these crafts in light of the Kenneth Arnold sighting and Roswell and so forth, uh, and, and describes them as having aerial capabilities that far exceed anything we have. Um, so yeah, that's, it, it, it has cracked open the door. Um, you know, ufologists were, had very high expectations that the door was going to get kicked right in, uh, regarding, you know, what is the very nature of this phenomenon? Um, I, I personally don't think we'll ever have disclosure in, at least in terms of, you know, the president on the, in the Rose Garden, you know, saying, yes, we are not alone. I don't think that'll happen in our lifetime. I mean, I have my own sort of view one that I, I I should add is not popular among ufologists. I'm a I'm a Bible believing Christian and the only way that this phenomenon fits uh into the the biblical narrative is that these are uh they're not inter intergalactic, they are interdimensional. Now that's that's once we we put aside all of the more prosaic explanations that it's a meteor, that it's a comet, that it's a, 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 a highly sophisticated uh, U.S. spy plane or what have you. Uh, when you that's the ninety nine percent. When you're left with the one percent that can't be explained 
away. To me, that's the only explanation, interdimensional, uh, angelic, demonic, take your pick. Rather interesting. Again, the year 2020 has been quite the journey, and we definitely are uh, living through uh, historical times, to say the least, Richard. Yes, and it's uh, there's a quickening happening. Um, I um, I noticed it particularly uh, well, certainly after nine eleven. Um, historical events seem to be sort of ramping up, uh, but even more so since twenty sixteen with the um, the election of President Trump. Uh, the news cycle now is just it's like a trip hammer. You can't even keep up. Stuff is coming at you. Uh, it's like we're living at the speed of light and it is, dare I say, almost biblical prophetic. Um, uh, some people, re- you know, in, in, in biblical terms, they, they refer to this as kind of the, uh, the, the labor pains, uh, you know, before the, the, the birth of the end times, I suppose, or the tribulation. And as with labor pains, they, they speed up the period between the labor pains uh, gets shorter and shorter. The pain gets more and more intense. And that's what we're seeing right now. Um, it, it, it's someone on the radio and you must feel the same way. I'm sure uh, both of you, it's, you sit down and you figure out what are we going to talk about tonight? Well, I remember there were days when I was producing talk radio, there was nothing going on. There was nothing to talk about. Literally. It was nothing. <laughs> when was the last time you could say that? Yeah. Every day. Came out, you know, Kim Jong-un, he's dead. No, he's alive. Uh, you know, Boris Johnson has, uh, is in, uh, it might be on a respirator. Uh, you know, the t- President Trump is telling people to drink bleach. It's just, it's, it's dizzying. Yeah. Oh, it is. It really is. And going back to uh, conspiracies for a moment here, you know, and, and I might get plenty of heat for even bringing this up, but we're exactly do you draw the line completely in conspiracies? I mean, the litmus test for me is the flat earth. I'll even entertain that. Uh, I had, (laughs) I had someone on coast to coast because it's not for me, you know, to decide. Sure. I get you. Uh, Ultimately, you know, what is truth? I mean, I have my own theories. I don't believe in a flat earth, but if someone wants to come on and make a compelling case and it makes for good radio, uh, then bring it on. Um, but as I mentioned earlier, there are obviously there are places I draw the line and, and, um, one of them is, um, you know, spreading hate. I won't give someone that platform. Oh, that's fair enough. Can I ask a question? Uh, Richard, how do you feel about the quote unquote fake news and, uh, uh, the the opinionated uh, journalists and newscasters that are on uh, news programs today, g- more, more so giving opinions I- instead of actually just giving the news. How do you feel about all that? Oh, yellow journalism. Well, we've we sort of been watching this um, for the last 30 years, really. Yeah. They started, they started referring to it as a show. It was no longer the news. It was welcome to the show. And then slowly the journalists – uh, became pundits. They would, in order to fill time, uh, you know, going back to the inception of CNN back in 1980, I guess it was, so 40 years ago, and they imagined, you know, a 24-hour news channel. And I think what 
uh, what happened was they, they found out that, you know, they could only show um, high speed police car chases from a helicopter so often. And, you know, um, up until a certain point, certainly, as I mentioned, 2001, events just started speeding up or even a little bit before that, maybe the OJ uh, trial. But what they quickly discovered was there wasn't enough real news to fill uh, the programming hours. And so they started creating panels and they would invite, invite guests on and you would have one Republican squaring off a, a Democrat or two Republicans versus two Democrats. And then at some point, the, the, uh, the host who was supposed to be a journalist, a dispassionate observer would kind of get pulled into the fray and might offer his own opinion. And then soon the journalists were showing up on the panel. Uh, and so journalists stopped being dispassionate observers and, and they were, they became opinion makers and then they became the newsmakers. We recently had, uh, uh, Chris Cuomo, uh, you know, emerging from, uh, isolation in his basement, supposedly after, um, uh, after recovering from the coronavirus. And this was presented as a major news event. The, that's the, true. The, the, the journalist became. The newsmaker, the news. and that's not supposed to happen. So there's that. Then there's just the fact that they are, uh, you know, all, all the polls, like something like 97% of people that work in the mainstream media and the news organizations are registered Democrats. They all don't, they donate to the Democrats. They are, and, and we have the same thing up here. We have um, our state run media, the CBC. Uh, we have the CTV, Global News, Toronto Star, very left wing. Um, and, and, and our prime minister recently signed off on a huge, this was before coronavirus, a huge sum of money that was given to news outlets to uh, ostensibly to keep them afloat. Uh, they were essentially bought and paid for. And, um, you know, talk about a sharp contrast. Your press conferences with the president where he's, uh, you know, basically, you know, the reporters try to use him as a speed bag. Uh, unfortunately, the speed bag, or fortunately, I, I should say, right, the right. speed bag punches back. But uh, contrast that with our press conferences with our prime minister, who has been in virtual house arrest, it seems. He comes out like a cuckoo clock once a day uh, and um, is, is served up in embarrassingly lame lob ball questions. Nothing, there's no probing, no criticism, again, from the bought and paid for media. It's it's uh, if it weren't so tragic, it would be laughable. And so, yeah. right. And Richard, is the term yellow journalism a racist term nowadays? <laughs> I'm wondering. Well, that was uh, that's a good point. I suppose somebody somewhere will take offense. But, um, um, you know, no matter uh, they've they've just they've lost the room as far as I'm concerned. A racist to me is someone who's winning an argument with a liberal. <laughs> good point you're a good man richard that's excellent i gotta remember that that's, that's a good really line like that. very good line you know going back to COVID 19 really quickly here on the program i said by easter there would there would be at least 1. 1.1 million infected um i was wrong but i was also right when i said a million would be infected that's that seems to be the case now in the united states according to the john hopkins Corona, uh, coronavirus Resource Center. 
I think the number is probably much, much, much higher. It might be. Uh, they've only tested, I think, what is it, 5 million Americans? I believe so. And uh, there was a recent, there was a University of Southern California study that looked at L.A. County. L.A. County was one of the first jurisdictions in the United States to lock down. And uh, the mayor there was a former police chief, I believe, Garcetti. Uh, I mean, I have to laugh. They call Trump authoritarian and they, they call Trump the dictator. Garcetti was on uh, the news uh, proclaiming that he would hunt down the 1% that are in violation of the social distancing laws, that he was tracking them on their cell phones. They were traffic. They were they're tracking them in their cars. So that's uh, that's uh, Democrat uh, Mayor Garcetti. Now, the back to the Southern University of Southern California study. They looked at Southern uh, uh, Los Angeles County, and they found that 300,000 residents there had antibodies, which uh, proved that they had they had had uh, Corona the the COVID nineteen and recovered. 300,000 cases in Los Angeles County. They were predicting 8,000. So the point here is that the number of the infection rate is is exponentially higher than we're being told, which means the case fatality rate, we're told it's 1% or in some jurisdictions it's 3%. It's probably given that the, remember, the, the case fatality rate, that's the numerator. That's the number on top. We can only make sense of that number with the denominator, which is the total infection rate. The higher the infection rate goes, then the lower the case fatality rate is. Uh, so instead of one or three percent, it could be one tenth of a percent, one one hundredth of a percent. In other words, it's a bad flu season, like many of us were saying from the get go. Yeah, I think many will agree with you on that. And of course, we do have Bill Gates out there who wants to vac- vaccinate everyone. Well, again, this is uh, what I was talking about earlier, how w- what is so disheartening is uh, see, this is, I, I look at this and, and remember I said that there would be many groups seizing upon this, no matter how it originated, right, uh, right. never let a good crisis go to waste. And so, um, many will be using this as a beta test. How far can we push people? Okay. So we'll float the idea of mandated vaccines. Maybe we won't get people on board this time, but the next time a virus rolls around in two years, uh, then We'll push it again, but this time we'll push it harder. And unfortunately, um, many, many people will acquiesce. Um, we have become so soft and so compliant. Um, never our generation and, and the generation before us and the one after never having our, our metal tested the way our ancestors, the way my, my father or my grandfather or yours. That's right. My father served in the Second World War. He survived the Depression. My my mother-in-law lived through Nazi occupation uh, of Greece and a civil war and a depression and all of that. We've never had that. Uh, and so we're so easily uh, led and manipulated. And unfortunately, um, many of us are willing to give up uh, a little bit of liberty or maybe a lot uh, for a little perceived security. And that is the end that's then we're done right right it's too many there's there's too many of this the the younger generation 
that seems to be their, their, their entitlement of wanting to get something after they're coming out of school, like, you know, a job as a lawyer or a psychologist, you know, and, and they don't, they don't want to do the, the, the minuscule jobs that we did as younger kids. When I was, when I was 16 and eligible for work, I wanted to get a job anywhere I could. And I've worked, I had worked for uh, land landscaping companies and shopping centers, pushing, pushing carts and pushing lawnmowers. Uh, you know, I wanted to buy a bicycle. I wanted to buy a car. Nowadays, it's like the whole world is just fixated on their iPhones, their, their, their smartphones, their, their computers and the internet. And there, there's not enough focus on getting things done and and being responsible for your own actions as as an American. Well, we have, um, I I think, in large measure, uh, our public education system to thank for that. I yep. was a Khrushchev who said that we will bring the United States to its knees without firing a single shot. You will destroy yourselves from within, and that begins uh, with public education, which are essentially uh, giant tax-funded incubators that are churning out cohort after cohort of Che Guevara-loving, um, Western civilization-hating uh, socialists. Right. And uh, recent polls, 70% of uh, millennials say they would love to live in a socialist country. And they should and, move. They should move. Yes, because they have they don't teach this in in school. They don't, you know, you don't show up at a block party wearing uh, waving a Nazi flag. But nor should you show up at a block party waving a hammer and sickle, which is equally as odious. Uh, people, you know, they they're not taught about, uh, right. you know, the uh, they don't read um, uh, the Gulag Archipelago uh, by right. Solzhenitsyn. They don't understand that Mao and Stalin. Uh, were responsible for over a hundred million deaths, right. murders they, they in don't, the twentieth they century. Ex- they don't explain that to these kids, and then you get someone like Bernie Sanders who stands up there and and rants and raves about how great it would be to just give everybody everything for free. Well, where the hell does that money come from? It comes out of your pocket. They were talking about raising taxes here in America. Uh, what was it, Michael? Up to like ninety percent. By the way, the funny thing is, most people who would want to move, um, they simply can't just show up and be accepted as citizens right away. I mean, they're unskilled for the most part. Right, right. That's the, the problem. The one silver lining uh, with this is that uh, a lot of these uh, left-leaning millennials um, are too are too lazy and complacent to get out and vote. Uh, you know, they'll show up at a Bernie rally and sure. then go home and smoke a bong with their friends. Uh, <laughs> but thank God they don't have the get up and, and, and the wherewithal to get up in the morning and line up and vote. So we can be thankful for that. No, I agree. <laughs> I agree with you with a hundred percent on that one, Richard. And by the way, we are now entering the era of transhumanism, man yeah. meshing with machine. Um, Richard, are you ready? Do you want to live forever, Richard? No, no. I will take my allotted uh, three score and ten. Anything on top of that is gravy. Um, but uh, no, I um, I can't wait uh, to get to heaven. I hope that's where I'm headed. But no, I. This is uh, down here on Earth. Is this is kindergarten, and uh, I'm ready to graduate. I hope. 
Amazing. And Richard, did you grow up religious at all? Um, I grew up in the, it used to be called the Methodist Church, uh, then it later became the United Church. It's Protestant. It was um, very big on fellowship. Uh, I had a wonderful uh, childhood. I sang in the choir. I played the ch- in the church hockey league. I went to Sunday school. Um, but it was it was a little lagging in the worship department. So high on fellowship, a little less so with worship. And then I, uh, I met my wife, uh, who is a Greek Orthodox and I converted. It's a beautiful faith. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's, it stands upon, uh, uh, doctrine that is, you know, 2000 years old. It is unmoving. It is a rock. It is eternal. And I find that incredibly comforting. Um, and, um, so I, 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 I'm, I am home uh, within Eastern Orthodoxy. Understood. And Richard, when you are not broadcasting, um, obviously you're probably with your family, but what do you like to do though, Richard, when the wife and the kids aren't around and you do have that freedom? What is it that you definitely fancy? Um, well, if I'm in Greece and we spend uh, some time there when we can, uh, one of my favorite things to do in the whole world, when, as you say, I'm not with family, is to float on my back in the Messinian Bay. Nice. Okay. Very nice. And that's something. Not something you get to do quite often. Yeah. I imagine. Not as often as I'd like, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we try to get over there as often as we can. Very nice. Very nice. And Richard, when was the last time you were out here in America? Uh, let's see. I took my boys on a baseball road trip last June. We went to Cincinnati, uh, or as people in Cincinnati would say, Cincinnati, uh, <laughs> yes. Cleveland and Pittsburgh. So we're trying to do all 30 ballparks, um, uh, before I, uh, before I walk off into the sunset. Before you part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we've, uh, yeah, that was the last time we, uh, and, uh, I must say all three cities, just spectacular, beautiful ballparks, beautiful downtowns. I, um, I've always, I've always felt sort of emotionally, psychologically American. Um, my ancestors came to Canada from New Jersey sometime in the 1840s. Oh, do you know where? And, uh, where in New Jersey? Not exactly. No. Cause that's where I was born and raised in. in oh. New Jersey. Yeah. Wow. Well, we have uh, my my wife's cousin and she has family there. So we uh, I love New Jersey, uh, beautiful state. And um, uh, but but I, I always I, I'm very emotionally invested in the United States. I'm I uh, I'm a big fan of the uh, the Constitutional Republic. I'm not a big fan of our parliamentary system. Uh, I I, um, I follow your politics very closely. Uh, I love American baseball. Um, I love hockey too, but uh, oh, yeah. I, I really, I really feel like an American in many, in many respects. Yeah, Richard is more American though than uh, most Americans, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, he sounds it. Right? He's very American. Yeah. And by the way, she blinded me with science. He's in the. He, that's a, a listener in the chat room. They're saying Richard should be the regular host of Coast to Coast, and you know I have to agree. Oh, oh, God bless. <laughs> that's very kind. That's I have to kind. agree. R- Richard does a fantastic job. Uh, always has, even though I, I do prefer you on your own show, Richard, I have to say, and it's mostly because of the commercials, to be honest. Oh, yes. Well, um, 
kind of yeah that that's a that's a sign of a successful show when you start complaining about the commercials that's because everyone wants to advertise uh radio stations are going through up here in canada uh, and in the u.s i'm sure the local mom and pop stations going through hard times oh yeah you know, and, and the and the hosts now they don't they don't get to break for three minutes and go out and take a cigarette break uh there are no commercials they got to talk you know forever yeah they do and richard are you a smoker no, I've tried. I've tried to start. I've tried everything. I, I tried hypnosis. Nothing seems to work. That's interesting. And the reason why I brought up smoking is because there's some sort of a study going around that those who uh, contract COVID-19, a lot, a lot of them are, are not smokers. It seems like the smokers have some sort of advantage when it comes to COVID-19 now. Yeah, I read that. It just shows you how little we know. Yeah, we, we don't know. The other thing they've discovered is apparently that people that have antibodies uh, for it, uh, and we're being told that you know those antibodies could be extracted and and, and used to help someone. Uh, now the people with antibodies, it seems, are getting a second round of of COVID nineteen. That's a very unfortunate situation. How long will this last? I mean, no one really knows. And my city right now is trying to reopen very slowly, which I think is the right thing to do. Cases are quite low out here, and I live in a very small town called El Centro, um, about an hour from uh, San Diego, which is the major city that everyone is quite familiar with. But yes, slowly it's happening here. But it lasts as long as we mm-hmm. let them get away with it, really. Um, right. I I have been talking about for a month and taking some heat on Twitter. And I've been a guest on some radio shows and taking some flack right. because up here in Canada, I've been I've been calling to open things up. And I, 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 as I always say, a free people are best suited to manage their own risk. Right. Uh, I should be the one to make that decision. And it's if we can have essential services running, we can find a way to mitigate risk and get people back to work. It's not rocket science. Um, and the healthy, uh, you know, we've, we've never done this before. We've never quarantined the healthy. The healthy people have to get out. They need to be exposed. There's even some discussion. There was some uh, doctors with advanced degrees in microbiology from Bakersfield recently. Their YouTube video has been banned. But these are doctors saying that we're actually hurting ourselves by uh, uh, quarantining the healthy because, you know, they're never going to build any immunity. It's, that means we'll never be able to get out of our basements and get back to work as long as there's one case in the world of coronavirus. Healthy people have to get out and start and be, get exposed to this. Let's let's pour all our resources into protecting and quarantining the sick and the vulnerable and the aged. Everybody else has to get back to work. Mitigate where you risk where you can. But when you, when you, when you lock down the sick, that's a quarantine. When you lock down the healthy, that's tyranny. I, I, I have to ask, uh, Richard, would you, and Michael, back me up on this if I'm saying this wrong, but Richard, would you agree that maybe this particular virus is very much unlike anyone that we've ever dealt with before because it's been manipulated in a lab? Well, assuming that it has, yeah, but every, every coronavirus that comes down is something a little different. Every influenza, uh, variant is, is different, which is why, you know, they're always, uh, sort of lagging behind with a proper vaccine. And I'm not a, va- a flu vaccine guy, but, uh, uh, it's always something different. Um, be that but, as but, it may, be that no, as we, it, yeah, no, we have to, I mean, as I say, the, the, um, 
The symptoms are for, for younger, healthier people, even middle-aged, healthy people. It's, it's, they're, it's going to be, a, it's going to be a bad cold. We can't, uh, cower in fear in our basements. Uh, and I, have, I, I'm not yeah. disagreeing with you on that. What yeah. I'm trying to say is that this particular, this particular virus, coronavirus, mm-hmm. COVID-19, <clears throat> from what I understand, and again, Michael, tell me if I'm saying this wrong, but from what I understand, this particular virus was spliced with the strand of the AIDS virus, making it a potentially more dangerous, almost as as, as if it was a death sentence right from the beginning because it's got an immune uh, – an, an ability to affect the immune system uh, much more strategically than a normal virus would. Well, if you're if – you're- Elderly and otherwise compromised, uh, 80% of the people, um, up here anyway, at least 80% are, and this is tragic. I'm not saying that be, just because they're old, it makes any difference. It doesn't, it, but they are people in nursing homes. Uh, they are people with, uh, one, two, sometimes three underlying conditions. And so statistically, it just, it doesn't, uh, when I look at the, the data, it, it, doesn't strike me as anything less than a bad flu season. Um, you know, in in uh, Italy, for example, uh, the their version of the CDC, uh, the director came out and said, and this was back in March, but at that point they had, I believe, upwards of you know eight ten thousand people had had succumbed, mainly in the north, again, mainly elderly people with multiple underlying conditions, and he said. We can only say at this point that two, only two patients uh, have succumbed to COVID-19 who have had no other underlying conditions. We can't say in all seriousness or in all honesty what, what killed the other you know, 98%. So there, and there's a difference between dying with COVID-19 and dying from COVID-19. And I think what we're seeing, Pennsylvania for a re- recently had to roll back their death count by 200 because they are they're gaming the numbers. Uh, do you know? So, uh, for example, in the United States, if you're an, a regular hospital admission, Medicare pays the hospital four thousand dollars. If you're a COVID nineteen admission, they pay the hospital thirteen thousand. Yeah, they, they've been getting a, more money for sure. I exactly. did read that. If you go on a ventilator, Medicare pays the hospital thirty two thousand dollars. Right, and here's the so, issue. However, even though some people have recovered. In South Korea, the health officials were saying the people that were retested again, they, they tested positive. The ones who, um, were recovered and allegedly, um, healed. So people were testing positive yet again. That's the, that's the strange part. Yeah. Uh, this is a curious one. It's a head scratcher. Um, but, um, you know, we're not going to, we're not, at what point do we say the cure has become worse than the disease? When they start, when they start freeing murderers and rapists and arresting priests, I think we can say the cure is now officially worse than the disease. Well, that I don't agree with you uh, completely, but for the most part, it's again, this is a very uh, slippery slope since everything is so new with COVID nineteen. Well, we have to remember. During the depression, it, it wasn't just about people losing their jobs. Millions of people starved to death. 
Um, and if we don't right this ship very quickly in the economy, if the United States economy falls off a cliff, the world is sunk yep. and we will see a deep depression like the world has never seen before. It'll make 1929 look like, you know, boom times <laughs> Yeah, uh, and poverty kills. Poverty will kill far more people than COVID-19. That I don't disagree with. Um, Again, this is very new, and of course, new protocol has to be implemented. That's not to say that I want everyone to be vaccinated or microchipped to any degree, even though that's what's going on with Apple and Google right now. And I'm not, I'm not very happy about that. Most people will go ahead and uh, do it. They'll well, go ahead and comply. Right. Well, grocery stores are running. How are they mitigating risk? They're taking care of their employees. They're keeping their customers safe. They are mitigating risk. They're open for business. Any business that can learn from that should be open. That's right. Yeah. And I agree with you. Post office is open. uh, Fire department. uh, They just got to do it. They have to do it smart. That's what I'm trying to get at. Right. Right. We're a smart, industrious people. We can figure it out. Yeah, that and that is what I'm getting at. I'm sure we can figure it out, no doubt. Go ahead, Mike. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, you know, no, 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 that's all right. C- continue, Michael. I, I Don't worry about what I had to say. It's all right. Oh, I was curious what you had to say. <laughs> I wanted to know. No, it's nothing. Just keep going. It's okay, right. I, I was just saying, yeah, we, we just have to follow a new protocol and be smart about it, no doubt. I definitely want things to reopen most people out there are just completely tired of being at home, which I understand. But for for the most part, there are some people that they need at this time to reflect on their lives, I have to say. That's definitely the silver lining. But I, I, I think we need to pay more attention to Sweden and less attention to the World Health Organization. Oh, yeah. Amen. Sweden has done pretty well. The, ahead, people, the people who uh, are, are doing a lot of the complaining – I, you know, we are so spoiled. We have all these luxuries, television, DVDs, uh, the computers, the internet, the iPhones, the PlayStation, so on and so forth. And, and you know, a hundred years ago, they didn't have any of this. And and if, if there was something going around and they had to stay at home or something, what did they do? They read a book. They talked to each other. They, uh, you know, sang songs. You know, it, it blows my mind how people are like, oh, you know, I'm I'm going crazy in here. You're going crazy? Could you imagine if you didn't have a computer? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. What would go on then? Yeah, imagine if you live in a third world uh, country, you know. Yeah. You know, I have nothing well, to complain about here in America, really. We got If we, we don't, pretty, if we don't we, fix it soon, we will be. Well, we will be. <laughs> We're going to have to start rationing right. food. Yeah. That's the well, my mother, my part. mother remembers, it, uh, you know, ra- gas rationing and so forth during the Second World War. Yeah, those days may visit upon our our shores very soon. And, uh, you know, not necessarily a bad thing if it toughens us up a little bit, because the worst thing for a free people is to get soft and lazy and complacent. And we have. I agree. The Roman Empire fell that way. Yes. Oh, yeah. So, Richard, yes. I don't want to take up too much of your time. Um, we've gone long enough here and I appreciate the time you took to hang out with us here tonight. My pleasure. I had a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a great time. We will definitely have to do this again. 
uh, down the down the road, my friend. Thank you, Richard. Can I uh, can I just give a quick plug to my? Yeah, yeah I was going to uh, say go ahead and people can find me. Yeah, yeah go so, ahead. So uh, if they go to the website strangeplanet.ca, that's kind of a portal. They can find my weekly radio show there, my podcast. They can subscribe, get my free weekly news, uh, monthly newsletter, Inner Sanctum. Subscribe to the podcast. Uh, drops Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Conspiracy Unlimited podcast.com and uh back on coast to coast saturday may 9th and sunday may 10th very nice everyone go check him out on his show and of course on coast to coast am if you need some entertaining definitely tune in and find mr richard serrett there richard it's been a blast an honor and a privilege to share the air with you richard thank you thank you so much all right Thanks, my friend. take care out there mahalo Bye-bye. Take care. Take care. And there he goes, boys and girls, the one and only Richard Serrett. Did you enjoy that, Mike? Quite interesting. Very serious man. Yeah, I liked him. A lot different from the other Canadians we brought in here, right? Uh, how many Canadians have we brought in uh, we brought in the show? A, at least one, right? At least, well, I think we brought in at least two, two, two or three. I think our... Um, I'm forgetting exactly who the other guy was who was Canadian. Uh, Bill William. There we go. I, he's from oh, Canada, okay. right? From what I recall. I, 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 I don't remember. I know there was at least one guy that we interviewed that you had told me was from Canada. But if there are any others, I, I am unaware of it. Yeah, John Kelly. Okay. You didn't like John him, Kelly. did you? Pardon? I said you didn't like him, did you, John Kelly? Is that the religious guy that we <laughs> interviewed? No, no. The, the religious guy that we interviewed it was... Um, that, that was, a few, that was, when was it like a month ago? About that. It was like one of my first few shows. Yeah. Yeah. That was with Eric Gajewski. Yes. Eric. Right, <laughs> you didn't right. really like him, I, did you? Uh, <laughs> that's okay. If now, you come didn't. on now. It's that's fine. not fair. I didn't, I never said I didn't like the guy. You hated him. Come on. With, I didn't agree with his policies on religion, but, or the fact that only his belief system was going to go to heaven. Um, but who, who else are you saying I didn't like? I don't know. I, I just know it was him. <laughs> well, yeah, you're right. It's pretty funny. That was a classic, though. <laughs> Eric had no idea what he was running into. Yeah, but I went easy. Well, of course. We have to play nicey-nice here sometimes. <laughs> you know how that goes. But, of course, we will return uh, very soon yet again, boys and girls. Well, hang on now, Michael. I got to talk to you about something. Well, go ahead. I, I am very concerned uh, in your opinion. Which one? About, about this, um, this whole issue with the farmers and, and getting, uh, uh, you know, having to, to, uh, cull their, their livestock. Oh, that's their cows, right. Cows, their chickens, their pigs. We need to bring a farmer in here. You know, that would be a fabulous idea. I think so. Or I should say that is a fabulous idea. Yeah, I mean, hopefully there is no shortage. I know uh, wow. Trump signed some sort of an executive order recently to prevent the meat shortage problem that we are experiencing here in America. Blows my mind. Just blows my mind. It's a wild time, I, Mike. I, 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 I go to these shopping centers, right? I go to shopping centers. I get my food. And yeah, there is still, there are, are, you know, packaged meats, uh, chicken, pork, sausage, uh, beef, whatever you want. But 
I, I just can't understand how they can keep open one food source and close down another. Politics, Mike. You know what? There's always political reasoning behind their orders and decisions. F politics, okay? Well, I'm with you on that. That's why I'm not <laughs> That's why I'm not someone who is either on the left or the right or any organized political group. I think all groups are cults to be honest. Well, I I got to send a shout out to Katmandu who uh Go for who it. sent me She's on the she's on the uh, chat room and on the on YouTube there. Um, she was the one who sent me the uh, the link to this 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 issue with the with the uh, with crops. The, oh and, yeah, with the gentleman. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And and I'll tell you, um, it's fascinating. Like I said, finish watching that link I sent you. It's just it's disturbing. Uh, and I, I was unaware of this until she sent me this information and it literally knocked my socks off. I'm like, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm appalled. I'm appalled because they're just killing these animals. There's, there's nothing. We're not eating them. We're just killing them and throwing them out. I, I can't believe it. Yeah, that's what we've come to. You know, it just, it irks me that, you know, as I said before, when, when, when a, a circumstance that becomes a problem involves animals, for example, uh, out here, uh, maybe by you too, but any golf course, uh, you know, golf courses attract Canadian geese and the Canadian geese come down and they shit all over the, 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 the golf course. So what do they do? They start killing the geese. Um, that's nice. There's. Right. Uh, out in Africa, when, when, when the elephant, uh, uh, herds get real big and start trampling some of the farmers and stuff, what do they do? They cull an entire herd of elephants, which could be anywhere between 40 and 150 elephants, male, female, babies. They just fucking kill them. And God damn it, that pisses me off to no end. No end. And now they're doing it to food sources, cows, pig, chickens, pigs, uh, whatever else, and they're just killing them and we're not even using the meat. You, you want to talk about a disgrace? You want to talk about a sin? That, my friend, is a disgrace. That is a sin, quote unquote. Yeah, there's a reason why they don't show those videos out there to the masses of the um, slaughterhouses, Mike. Which videos? Of cows being slaughtered. Oh, please. Uh, they're, they're horrendous. They're horrifying. I don't watch that. Oh, I don't give you nightmares for sure. Oh, Holy just hell. Just terrible. terrible. It really is. So, boys and girls, we will return yet again uh, Friday, May 1st with Jeffrey Prather and, of course, Dr. Paul Cottrell. That should be quite an interesting conversation there. Are we not doing Thursday? I thought we were doing a Thursday show this week. We don't. Oh, okay. Did we have a cancellation? I had a reschedule. Oh, okay. But for good reason, no though. Good reason. No problem. Oh, yes. But, of course, we do return again with Mr. Kent Hoven. That would be uh, Monday the 4th. That's going to be fun. And what's his background, Michael? Well, he's an Earth creationist. I've, I've mentioned this. Oh, you did? To he me? Believes did we, you tell- yes, I did. He believes we coexisted with dinosaurs, basically. Oh, that's right. He's that right. guy. Jeez. He's that, that guy. guy. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. 
I, so I don't know. I yeah. don't even know where to begin with him. The, the theory, allegedly, the theory is uh, that either they coexisted, humanity coexisted with dinosaurs, uh, what five thousand years ago, or or uh, I've also heard that uh, God planted the bones on the bot on the planet so that people can find them and uh, he could test their uh, faith. Oh boy. Yeah. Oh boy is right. I already have a headache. <laughs> Just thinking of this. Yeah. You and me both. He's going to, he's going to want to try to debate, but I mean, you really can't debate someone who is not backed by the facts at all. That's right. It's just and, ridiculous and, and, to even and, try. That's right. And as you know, uh, science is, you know, all about facts. That's how we figured out how old the earth is, how old the universe is and so on and so forth. Mike, uh, don't, aren't you aware that, you know, dinosaurs were on the ark? Is that what they think? Most of them do. Because I never, ever <laughs> read that in the Bible, and I oh. have read the Bible. I didn't know that dinosaurs were on the... Well, they moved the, they moved the goalpost, Mike, you know. Yeah, you I know guess what they, they do. do. My God. Uh, well, Mike, go geez. ahead and plug anything you'd like before we um, wrap it up here. Ah, okay. Well, um, for anyone who was interested, uh, if you're interested in anything in my musical efforts, go to Mike hideous.com mike with a y m-y-k-e and um if you're interested in any of my artwork or photography uh prints and originals for sale uh go to horribleartwork.com by the way uh if anyone's interested also i had made a couple announcements that there were going to be new t-shirts on monday being uh yesterday Fact is, uh, I made a little boo-boo on some of the the uh, files, and now I'm correcting them. Hopefully, tomorrow that will be worked out, and they should hopefully be up by Thursday or Wednesday night. So I will let everybody know on my Facebook page, which is also Hideous Mike, facebook.com slash Hideous Mike, Mike with a Y. Thank you, Michael Deacon. Had a blast on uh, the show as always. Thank you for having me, and uh, I will talk to you. Friday. You got it, brother. Mahalo. Mahalo. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Love you guys. Take care. And there he goes, boys and girls, the one and only Mike Hideous. Please subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't already. And of course, take us on the road with you wherever you go. If you are still traveling around out there, you can take us on the road with you on, uh, on iTunes, Stitcher, CastBox, and I believe Spotify, international listeners out there, thank you so much for your support. Lots of listeners out there in Canada, Germany, and the UK. A few of you in Australia, which I really like. I appreciate all of you out there. And of course, the mods out there who are getting rid of the scum out there. I'm not quite sure why we have mods, but they do a great job in the chat room. Very, very thankful for them. Now, of course, where we go from here, it's a bit of a mystery, and whatever it is that you do choose to believe, you must adapt now. All control has been lost, I'm afraid, and we are looking into the abyss without a rescue party in sight, I'm afraid. And there's nothing more frightening than reality. I hope all of you out there, the very best. And with that said, the world is a mysterious place. 
and life itself is a mystery. Until next time, mahalo.